0: When you come to Tomoka, you will always need your Bibles. iPhone, iPad, scrolls, something, because I always want you to double-check me. I want you to go behind me. If I quote a wrong verse, I want to know about it. So uh, you, uh, <clears throat> you keep track of, what, of what's going on. Uh, but about a month ago, I'm, I'm laying in bed, and I get a text. It's, I don't know, 1030 at night, and it's from one of my neighbors that I almost never hear from. And he says, hey, Joe, be careful. There's a bear in the neighborhood. <clears throat> now, we've, we've, we've done this before. And if you live in, around here, you know this is quite possible. And then the, the second line says, oh, by the way, it's a 400-pound bear. Now, I don't, did they weigh the bear? You know, all these questions go through my mind. But, um, <clears throat> but the next picture he sends me is of the bear walking down my street. That'll get your attention. But then apparently the bear went to our quick store up on the corner, picked up a 12-pack of Pepsi and some beef jerky and took it up to the counter. And the guy said, is that all you want? And he said, yes, sir, just the bear essentials. The bear really was in my neighborhood. All right. You don't care. You don't care. All right. So the core of the foundation of the church, the bear essential, is the resurrection of Jesus. We've talked about that many times. All right. Without the resurrection, the rest of it's a waste of time. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, this is all in 1 Corinthians 15. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then our faith is in vain. We might as well all get out of here. But it's a hard thing for people to believe in the resurrection of the dead if they can't believe in the creation of the world. It's awful hard to believe in the creation of the world if you can't believe in the virgin birth and then the resurrection. It all goes together. So Luke unfolds this entire story as Luke deals with in his first volume and a second volume about how things began as he deals with the creation story he deals with the beginning of the church he deals with the virgin birth and he deals with the resurrection because getting the foundation right is absolutely essential so if you'll stand with me out of respect for god's word we shall roll all right theophilus is a greek name We don't know whether this is a pseudonym uh, to protect somebody from persecution or if this was really his name. Theophilus means lover of God. He writes in the beginning of Luke, writes to the same guy. Okay, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that Jesus was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After Jesus' suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You can be seated. All right, just the beginning. Now, Pastor Core did an incredible job last week talking about as we wrapped up our Jesus series, and he talked about the idea of that last verse of John, in twenty one twenty five, where it says, If all the books on earth were written about what Jesus has done, there wouldn't be enough books in the whole world to contain it. Now, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Because there are a lot of books in the world. Well, let me explain to you how that works. You see, when you read the Gospels, You read all four of the biographies of Jesus. You get less than 30 days, well, bits and pieces of 30 days of Jesus' earthly life. right? And that's just, some days you just get a little glimpse. All right? But 30 days of his 33 years. So certainly there was a lot more teaching, a lot more miracles. There were a whole lot more stories that could have been in there. But I don't think that's even what he's talking about. For the last 2,000 years, once God sent his Holy Spirit, God now works in all of us. As Cord talked about last week, he is the head, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. So, so now, the gospel story is not just what Jesus did, but it's what Jesus is doing through all of us. So there have been billions of people who have been the hands and feet of Jesus over the last 2,000 years. And the stories continue to be written. When you read Hebrews 11 and you read about all the great men and women of faith, it doesn't end with that list. That list is still being written. Your name's going to be there. By faith, Mary. By faith, Bob. And it's going to talk about what you did and how you gave your life to the Lord and how you followed the Lord. And, and even in the book of Acts, when you get to the end in verse tw- chapter 28, it just sort of like tapers off. It's like, wait a minute, what happened to the end? Well, it tapers off because it's never ended. We're still living in chapter 29. We are the carrying on of that. But it says, this is to tell you what Jesus began to do. Right? He said, I wrote you the first book to tell you how it started. The second book is the second chapter and how it's continuing to go on from generation to generation that you and I are still a part of that great story. Now, I've been watching, I've been watching a particular story that I want to tell you about. And I had, I had to go back and do some research to figure it out. <clears throat> I had five stories laying on my desk at the same time over a period of maybe three weeks. And they just kept showing up. So I just kept printing them and laying them on my desk. Because if you were to go back 200 years ago, nobody would have talked about evolution. Everybody would have talked about a divine being, creation. They would have talked about the Bible being solid. Nobody would have given any thought to this crazy idea about millions and billions of years. So what happened? All right. So Darwin comes on the scene. During Darwin's time... Anybody who believed in evolution were almost all of them what's called theistic evolutionists. You know, they believed in God. They believed that God started it, wound it up, <clears throat> but then evolution took over and put together what we have now. By the time you get to the mid-20th century, most of the scientists in our universities have become atheists. So they can no longer go along with this view. So, out of Princeton comes a man named Hawking. And Hawking comes up with this idea of the Big Bang. You guys you know your, your physics here. All right. Hawking comes up with this idea that there was a Big Bang. All right, well, that's getting close to creation, isn't it? There was a moment where God spoke and everything came into being. And Hawking says that everything would fit into the head of a pencil, all matter and all space and all of time fit into something the size of a pencil eraser. And then it blew up. Okay. Well, where did the head of the pencil come from? And I got a bigger question. Where did the space it blew up into come from? Ah, now we got problems. So, this has been the defining factor, though, since the 70s, since Princeton. The last 50 years have all been about an atheistic worldview, and now it's changing again. All five of these articles said this We need to quit trying to understand the beginning of the universe. The universe has always existed. And I'm like, okay, now we're getting closer to truth. It's not that the universe has always existed, but the one that created it has always existed. Because they realize the absolute ridiculous nature of trying to put time, space, and matter into the head of a pen and figure out how that blew up and created space and all the other things. So... They don't know how the beginning. And so now they say, well, there just wasn't the beginning. Think about that. Now, this is science. While through all three of these stories, Genesis 1 has just said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, time, space, and matter. God put it there. So you need to understand the the beginning so you can understand how the rest of it works. And this is how I became a Christian. When I understood Genesis 1, then I was able to accept the resurrection. Because I could not grasp this idea of a man raising from the dead because I didn't understand who I was dealing with. Once I understood who the creator was, then I was able to put the other pieces together. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. Not the fear of Princeton. Not the fear of science. But the fear of God. That is the beginning of wisdom. Then we move on, and he and he talks about the proof to convince. All right, this is some fun for me. So, Luke, in his gospel, gives you the greatest detail about the crucifixion. Does anybody want to know why? Think about it. Why would Luke go into graphic detail about the crucifixion? He's a doctor. So Luke's story is far more specific, far more graphic than all the rest of the gospels because Luke knows what's actually happening to Jesus' body. So you get a whole lot, a whole lot more of the story. But then it says in Acts, it simply says in this passage today, after Jesus' suffering, The beating, the crown of thorns, the whipping, the crucifixion, all that Jesus went through is reduced to one word, his suffering. And that suffering was for all of us. And that's the bare essential. We're back to that phrase again. That's where it started, is with his suffering. But it says, after his suffering, he showed himself to the disciples with what? Many convincing proofs. The word there is actually infallible. Infallible proofs. Literally, I dare you to challenge this. Now, let me tell you some things that happened. You can go back in the Gospels and you can read them for yourself. All right? It says that Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, he spent 40 days with the disciples teaching them about the kingdom of God. Okay? That's fairly convincing. He didn't hide himself. There's another place where it says he met with 500 people at one time. So there's a whole lot of people that can now tell this story. How about when Jesus died? All right, I think it's Mark's gospel, but you can check me out. When Jesus died, we know that the curtain, uh, uh, the veil in the temple, this huge, massive curtain, was ripped in half from top to bottom. We also know that it went dark in the middle of the day, but the best part of the story, it said the dead came out of the graves and walked the streets of Jerusalem. Now check it out. Now, if you're trying to fool people about a story, would you have put that story in the book? Probably not. Uncle Ted's been dead for three years. Uncle Ted knocks on the door and says, I'd like to come in and have lunch with you and tell you about Jesus, that he really is the Son of God. That gets your attention, wouldn't it? That might explain why Jerusalem came to Christ so fast. But again, if we're running a con, you're not going to put that story in the book. Also, you're not going to put that story in the book because there's people living in that time because Mark is the earliest gospel written. There would have been thousands of people who could have just said, that didn't happen. But they didn't. Then... After these 40 days, the Holy Spirit comes. The 12 disciples, they hit the road. They go all over, we'll see, all over Europe and Asia and North Africa. And all of them are going to die. Their families are going to die. Gruesome, gruesome deaths for the cause of Christ. Now, you want to tell me that those 12 men agreed to set a conspiracy in motion that they were all going to die for just to fool the rest of humanity. After his suffering, Jesus came with many convincing proofs. So when people write ridiculous stuff like, oh, this Jesus probably never lived. Ah, none of this, none of these miracles happened. Well, you better go back and look at some of the infallible proofs. I just pulled out two verses for us to ponder in Luke. It says it this way. It says, look at my hands. This is after the resurrection. A guy named Thomas was having a hard time with this resurrection thing. He said, look at my hands and my feet. It's me. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and blood. See, there were already people saying, well, it's not really Jesus. It's just Jesus' ghost. And to qualify to be our Savior, he had to be both God and and man, So he says to Thomas, <clears throat> here's my hands. You're welcome to stick your fingers in the nail holes and find out for yourself. In John, it's written this way. And he said this, he showed them his hands in his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Because once they saw the wounds in his hands, they knew that he was the Messiah. They knew he was the one raised from the dead. The proof was in front of them. And you and I are proof today. And there's several billion people living right now that are proof to the fact that this entire story of the creation, the virgin birth, the resurrection, beginning of the church, that they all took place. Then we get to the last part. So Jesus has spent three and a half years training the disciples. He then spends 40 days. We got a 40 day intensive, all right? This is some grad level stuff here now. 40 days just teaching them about the kingdom of God after three and a half years because apparently they still don't get it. And then Jesus said, I gotta go. Jesus is taken up to heaven. That's at the end of the gospels. And Jesus said, but don't leave Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes. Now, People have a lot of crazy ideas about the Holy Spirit. Let me help you out here, all right? The Holy Spirit is a part of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Just like you and I are body, soul, and spirit. The Bible says we're made in His image, right? Just like God is threefold, you and I are threefold, body, soul, and spirit. The Spirit of God is not the author of confusion. So much of what you see that gets attributed to the Spirit is ridiculous. All right? The Spirit does not cause you to jump up and down and leap over top of things and... The Spirit of God convicts people of sin. The Spirit of God challenges people. The Spirit of God calls people back. The Spirit of God recalls things to people's minds. The Spirit of God has one purpose, and that's to glorify Jesus Christ and to help other people get saved. That's what the Spirit of God does. He's not some sideshow. He's not some circus. He says, you wait until the Holy Spirit comes. So what happens? Well, let's use Peter for an example, okay? So, 56 days earlier, Peter's in a courtyard where Jesus has told him, because Peter said, man, I'll never leave you. you. If there's one guy you can count on, it's moi. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. He's around a campfire. And somebody says, Hey, you you were with Jesus? No, man, I mean. No, no, no. Somebody else comes up and says, Man, you're you are, you're one of them. He goes, No, 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 no. Then a little girl comes up to him and says, Surely you are. And it says that he cursed. Brought on multiple curses. All right. If you've been around, maybe you know what that sounds like. And in those cursings, he said, I never knew the man. And then the rooster crows, and Peter went away weeping. Fifty-six days later, the Holy Spirit comes, and Peter stands up and preaches the gospel, and 3,000 men get saved. That's the kind of work that the Spirit of God does. From a man who denied Jesus three times... 56 days ago, to a man who is now empowered to stand up and deliver the message of salvation. And by the end of the day, 3,000 men, maybe 8, 9, 10,000 people, women and children, have given their lives to Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does in a life. The Holy Spirit transforms you into a better spouse, into a better person, into a better leader, into a better soul winner, into a better prayer let me show you this, 2nd Timothy, 2nd Corinthians, chapter 3. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. <clears throat> okay, the veil he's talking about. When Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, he's in the presence of God for 40 days. When he comes off the mountain, what's Moses' face look like? It's shining. He's been in the presence of God, and God is light. People want to argue whether it's radiation, sun, doesn't matter. He's glowing. And he ends up putting a veil over his face to conceal that from the other people. And he uses that analogy, and he says, we we want the veils to come off people's eyes so they can see. And I have spent 50 years praying for the veils to come off people's eyes and i read this verse again this week and i'm like i've missed the whole story what does it say would you put 316 back up on the screen please it says when you accept jesus christ as your savior the veil falls off i can't pray it off when you accept Jesus, and some of you have been watching online, you've been watching in Palm Bay, in Delan. Some of you are sitting here, you've been listening to me for years. But you still never accepted Jesus, and so your eyes are still blinded by the veil. And when you accept Jesus, that's when things will open up. And all of a sudden, all these things we've been talking about will begin to make sense to you. John 14 says, and I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. See, Jesus said, I told you I would send one to help you, one to encourage you, one to build you up, one to convict you, one to motivate you, and he will walk beside you. That is the Spirit of God working in all of us. Well, let me finish. A couple stories. Michael Jordan, I don't know if this is true or not, but it's attributed to him. He said, I never lost a game, I just ran out of time. I read that quote over and over, and I thought, you know what? God never ran out of time. God got everything done right on schedule, including the day of your salvation. And I pray that that's today. If you're online, there's a button, I've decided. If you're here in the room, you come up here to the decision of sign. There's people at guest services that will help you. Many ways for you to get questions answered and for you to accept Jesus and get things started today. But I'll finish with this. There's an ad. You can find it on Facebook if you like. Offering eternal life. <clears throat> and I thought, okay, this is good. I've got to read this. For $660 a year, this company, when you die, will cryonically freeze you. And you can live forever. And when they find the cure to what you died for, then they will unfreeze you and bring you back to life. Well, there's a couple... Obviously... They're marketing to people who are terrified of death. If you're in Christ, you have nothing to fear. You, you go from this world into glory. All right, it's a wonderful experience. Plus, I'm not a big fan of cold. That just doesn't look like uh, a lot of fun. $660 a year. Guys, Jesus paid the bill on the cross. It's simply a matter of you and I embracing yeah. Father, I thank you that you've given us a picture of the beginning. You've given us all these convincing proofs and you've given us the Holy Spirit that works in us and through us to call us, to move us, to motivate us, to change us on a daily basis. Lord, may we be open to what you want to do with us in this year of our Lord 2022. We know we don't want to be the same So we're asking you to move in us and through us in Jesus' name.